Yo, this is Pastor Tito, and welcome to another episode of the Revolutionary Podcast. time logging on. It's first time in a minute. We have been looking a lot over the past, what, I want to say like two months now, on looking at the different angles on how difficult it is to hear and understand even God's word, right? What I say two months, maybe some of y'all are like, it's been too long. I was like, I know, but it's good. It's good pressure. Now, we probably spent around that time, and we've been focusing. The bottom line was that this is, it is hard to understand certain things. Like, it is a shallow end of the pool, like what God's word is, it's so beautiful in that there's such a shallow end that any of us can enter into and, and enjoy and begin to experience. But the further we go in, the deeper it gets. And, you know, as we see who God is. But there's something that I'm sure that some of you um, have struggled with. I know I have and still do from time to time. If it's one thing to understand, all right, some things about God's word is hard to understand. It's another thing to, under, it's another thing to say that sometimes God's plans are hard to understand. All right, I know I've not, I'm not the only one that's kind of looped around and wondered, Lord, what's going on? What do you want me to do? All right, it's maybe especially in a season where you're feeling like you're spinning wheels, right? And you're trying to do certain things and you're not seeing results even more, right? When you're feeling like, okay, I'm, I feel like I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. I'm trying to be obedient, but I'm just not seeing results. And it's hard to remain hopeful, positive, right? And keep, keep the motivation going during those times. Am I the only one, right? Does that make sense? And so this is why I feel like there's such an anxiety around people wanting to know every little detail about God's word and about God's plan for our lives because there's a lot of this anxiety that could be built in. So we got to fill it with something so that anxiety doesn't go in. And something that I've been looking at lately is Let's just look at Paul. Guys, for those of us that we've been reading through the book of Acts this year, we've seen at the very beginning of the book of Acts, it started with a dozen people. And then this dozen was 120. And then out of this 120, there was a larger group. And we're seeing a lot of people, a lot of names, a lot of interacting as the church is growing and the Holy Spirit is doing some things. But the, haven't you noticed over the last two chapters or so, the focus has begun to whittle down. Now, Peter has faded away. The church leaders have faded away. And now we're just left with who? Paul. And Paul begins, and he is the focus of the rest of this book. Almost as if, again, the Holy Spirit's just trying to get us to zone in and see there is something that unique that I did and was doing in his life that almost is kind of like a catalyst. Not a catalyst, what's a better word? Uh, someone, some kind of a model, but just an example to see, look at the faithfulness of God to this individual. And it's, it helps to teach us and inspire us to do some things. And something I've noticed, even just about Paul, is that something has happened in his life over the last uh, little bit that we've been reading. The first one was, when we looked at Paul, every time God was using him, he was going city after city, town after town, and it almost looked like he was just a wrecking ball right? Everything that God was doing through Paul was unstoppable, right? Cities, whole cities were being, uh, you know, revival was experiencing. And I mean, nothing that the enemy was doing was working. But then out all of a sudden, here is Paul stuck in a Roman jail for two years. 
Now, how would you feel if that was you, right? You're, you're in this moment, in this season when things, it looks like summer, right? Things are awesome. Things are amazing. And then now you're in this like winter season. What happened? You know, for, I know maybe for some of us, I know me, I would probably be tempted with, am I doing something wrong? I mean, this isn't normal. I'm used to seeing results. Two years locked up. Two years. Yeah, some people are like visiting him and stuff like that. And he's kind of writing and whatnot. But two years, you went from like literally taking the gospel to the known world. I mean, in such a breakneck speed. And now you're stuck for two years? How would you feel? Would the anxiety build up in some of your, in some of your hearts? Maybe wondering, did I do something wrong? Am I failing you? Should I, should I be doing something now or, or not? But you know what's crazy is that we don't see Paul have that. Paul, in the, despite the two years, he has been faithful to what God has called him to do or what he feels and senses his opportunity is in the moment. And he is being faithful and faithful and faithful. Regardless of the pause, he is not, he doesn't see this as a problem. And Paul admits this. In fact, and there's other times that he says, listen, you and I, we only see things in part. Like, you can't see the big picture. We can't see the big picture when it comes to God fully because God is God and we're not. But at the same time, when it comes to his plan, we only see certain pieces. We don't see the big picture. Maybe, maybe you know, it's because God doesn't want us to focus on that. Maybe God says, hey, I don't want you to be focused on the plan. I want you to be focused on me. All right? All right, guys, I'm going to admit it. If God told me my plans, if he, if he could lay out his plan for my life over the next five years, and he just laid it out on a sheet of paper, and God, all right, this is what we're going to happen. I'm like, all right, cool. This is what we're doing. All right, cool. I'll see you in five years. I got this. All right, I got this. That's what I would do. You know, I would just run with a plan thinking, I got the plan. So I don't need you. This is enough for me. All right, that's what I would have done. And so it almost seems like God on purpose is, gives us limited focus because he wants us to never lose sight of, of him. And so we see in part now, one day we'll see fully. And the, the way that I uh, had my professor, Dr. Hill, give us his example in, in class when we started our, our doctoral program, it was pretty cool. He talked about this idea of an under rower. Okay, I love Pirates of the Caribbean, all right? I love the movies, I love the ride. I'm sure some of us like those old ship, and we've seen those kind of movies, right? You guys know what an under rower is. I know you've all seen them. They're the people at the belly of the ship, and what do they do? All they do is row and row and row that boat. That's what an under rower is. Now, guys, online, when you see an under rower, is that a glamorous job? Who usually are the under rowers? Usually the slaves, right? This isn't like, you know, you're maybe at the bottom of the barrel and you are what doing what? Rowing your boat. What can you see from the belly of the ship? The sweaty dude in front of you, right? And next to you, probably smells disgusting, right? That's what you're seeing. That's what you're smelling. Maybe it's a little dark. But I know in movies, don't you see, like, you can maybe see right outside the window where the oar is sticking out. And what could you see? Well, maybe a little bit of water. Maybe this, maybe that. But could you imagine being an under rower and you're just there, uh, uh, mush, and over. And you don't know, are, are, we, are we going to where we're supposed to go? Are, are, we, are we making good time? You know, are we going to crash into something? You literally don't know. Talking about anxiety, some of y'all, some of y'all need to calm down because you're, like, you're, you're getting there. And it's, it's crazy. Think of that. Think of that. You're just doing something, not knowing if where you're going is going to work out. If, are you going to get lost? Is there an enemy ship in front of you? Are you doing what you need to be doing? 
And that sense of an underrower is like us sometimes, where we can feel that sense of, man, we're like working and we're trying to do things, and, and, but we don't see the big picture. God, where are you? What's happening? Right? That could be one. But we see Paul. <laughs> he, ain't, he ain't breaking us. He, he's breaking a sweat. But we're not seeing him like sweating it. It's like he is still doing and being obedient. And so we're going to look at something in what happens next in this story. That I thought was interesting. So we're, the, the, point of the, the, the big point of the verse we're going to read today, guys, is how Paul got to Rome, which is a big deal. That was Paul's, God had a plan for Paul's life, and it was, I want you to go all the way to Rome, and eventually Paul is going to have an audience with Caesar himself. And we know historically who the Caesar is. You guys ever heard of uh, Emperor Caesar Nero? That guy, he's a, one of the most, you know, nefarious Caesars there was. He actually persecuted the Christians in an insane, disgusting way for a while. But right now, Nero is not that guy yet. He's a little calm. He's kind of in check. Paul eventually gets to preach the gospel to Nero face to face. And we're not there yet. But so the story, what we're going to read today is how he got there. But also, we're not just going to look at the specifics on how he got there, but really the, the perspective that helped him to process even the pause, even those lows and those winter moments that you feel like God is just bringing you into this moment where everything seems to slow down. Why? You know, but you don't want to lose sight of what matters most. And so that's what we're going to look at today in hopes that God, that, um, that God can help to fulfill his purpose in our lives as well, even if we only understand a part of it. And that's the goal. God was able to fulfill his plan for Paul's life, and Paul only understood a part of it. In the same way, he can fulfill his purpose for our lives, even if we only understand a part of it. All right, so let's look. He, uh, let's look at Acts chapter 25. We're going to read uh, 12 verses today, and we're going to check out how Paul ended up in Rome. So he's been two years under house arrest over, not house arrest, but two years in prison under uh, Governor Felix. He was the governor of Judea. Now here, there's a, a leadership transition that's happening, right? Here in America, we just had elections, right? And there's a lot of new people that got voted in. And so, you know, when you're getting new on the job, there's a process. There's a switch of administration. There's a switch of candidacies, you know, things like that. That's what's happening here. Uh, this guy Festus takes over. For Felix. So I'm going to read verse 20. No, I'm sorry. Wrong one. Where is it? Verse 20. Yeah. Verse 25, 1 through 12. Three days after Festus, the new governor of uh, Judea, arrives in the province, he went up to Jerusalem from Caesarea. The chief priests and the leaders of the Jews presented their case against Paul to him. And they appealed. Listen to that word, appealed, asking for a, fee, a favor against Paul that Festus summon him to Jerusalem. They were, in fact, preparing an ambush along the road to kill him. Festus, however, answered that Paul should be kept in Caesarea and that he himself was about to go there shortly. So therefore, he said, let those of you who have authority go down with me and accuse him if he has done anything wrong. When he had spent no more than eight or ten days among them, he went down to Caesarea. The next day, seated at the tribunal, he commanded Paul to be brought in. When he arrived, the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem stood around him and brought many serious charges that were, they were not able to prove. Then Paul made his defense. And he says, neither, have I, neither against the Jewish law, nor against the temple, nor against Caesar have I sinned in any way. But Festus, wanting to do the Jews a favor, he replied to Paul, Are you willing to go to Jerusalem, Paul, and be tried before me there? 
on these charges? Paul replied, listen, I'm standing at Caesarea's tribunal where I ought to be tried. I have done no wrong to these Jews, as even you yourself know very well. If then I did anything wrong and am deserving of death, I am not trying to escape death. But if there is nothing to what these men accuse me of, no one can give me up to them. I appeal, second time we see that word, I appeal to Caesar. Then Festus conferred and with his counsel, and he replied, well, you have appealed to Caesar? To Caesar you will go. All right. So Festus, this guy's a little different than the other guy. Felix, we, we talked about him last week. You could check it out. But Felix, uh, this guy, Festus, was actually way more honorable than Felix. The other trials that he had with Paul were very informal. They, you know, the guy had him. He knew he was innocent, but he left him in jail for two years because he wanted to do the Jews a favor. That was the other guy, all right? This is, again, this is plain politics with people's lives, all right? Shocking. People did it back then. Still do it today, right? People just play politics with people's lives. That's what Felix did. And the the thing is, here's Festus. Now, Festus is a little different. He's a little, a little bit more honorable. Notice that he's like saying, hold on, no, we're going to do this right. And so he has a tribunal. This is now a formal hearing. This is the first time Paul has been given a formal hearing in two years. And the dude has been innocent this whole time. And so he does it. And so we see he's not only more honorable, but he's just as divided. Do you see how? What does he want to do? What does Festus want to do with the Jews? He wants to do them a what? A favor. Why? Again, you're the new governor. You're, this is your first week on the job. If you guys are processing this, this is not even, you know, 12 days in. All right? 12 days in. And he wants to have a good, good impression. He's the Roman governor of Judea. And so what is the first place he goes? He goes, to, uh, he goes to Jerusalem. That's where all the power players are. That's where all the leaders are. This is the head of the constituents. And so he wants to make sure, hey, are things going good? And this is what they want. This is like, all right, man, we want the number one thing on your administration's priority list. We want it to be not student loan debt, not any of those things. We want Paul. We need to fix this problem for us. And so that he wanted it all the way at the beginning. And so he wanted to do them a favor. Did you guys even check when he was like saying, Paul, you know, what about if we do this in Jerusalem? You know, that'll be, that'll be kind of nice, right? Now, guys, this, I love saying this, and I'm going to be fast on saying it. Just a quick one before we move on. Festus gives us another great example, another beautiful example in the Bible of the idiocy of trying to impress people that they, that really don't like you. Okay? The Jews did not like Festus. They're using him, right? Festus is trying to use Paul for his political gain. And this guy is trying, these Jews, Jewish leaders are trying to use Festus for themselves. And remember, do you guys catch what, why did they want him to go to Jerusalem? What were they planning? An ambush. They were going to plan to assassinate Paul along the road. Guys, do you know what would happen? First day on the job, not even first week on the job, and you have a high-profile prisoner under Roman custody assassinated? That's a problem. Jews knew this. Festus, man, that would have been the worst way for him to get started. He would have gotten fired, who knows, arrested, maybe even killed himself. And so these Jewish leaders, they don't care about Festus. They only care about one thing. They want to kill Paul. So guys, again, I love saying this, especially, you know, I used to think, was like, let me tell this to a lot of the middle schoolers, high schoolers, but you know what? Man, adults always need to hear this too. Stop trying to impress people that really don't like you. And if you could be honest, you're trying to impress people that you don't really even like. Okay? Stop it. All right? Don't spend the money. Don't put the Instagram picture out there for whatever. You know what you're doing. Stop. Stop playing the game. Because you know what? It, it would have costed Festus his life. And it, uh, we waste a lot of our 
time and life too as well, doing the same thing. So don't do it. All right, Jewish leaders. This is another one that guys said, I don't want to pass by. How long has it been that I said that, that Paul was in jail for? How long? Two years. And these Jewish leaders, they hated Paul. Because this guy was going all throughout the Jewish communities in the Roman Empire and even in Israel. And these guys were believing in Jesus Christ. I mean, there was revival happening. And these guys hated it. They were insignificant anymore. I mean, literally, Paul was calling out that Jesus has fulfilled all of these things. And these guys were hard-headed. They liked power. They liked control, like people still do today. And so they, you would have thought, let me say it this way, you would have thought that Having your enemy number one, enemy of the state was Paul. And the fact that he was rotting in some Roman jail for two years, don't you think that would have made you happy? Don't you think you would have been like, well, he's out of our hair. He's not out there. I'd rather he be in jail than out there all throughout, you know, whatever, doing what he's doing. It's a good thing. If we couldn't kill him, at least he's locked up. Don't you think that would have made him happy? But it didn't. Two years later, what do they want? His blood. Two years later, they were still as, you know, the, 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 the fire and the anger was still burning hot because they couldn't let it go. Now, I mean, this is really, I think it was more demonic influence in nature because, see, demons knew God has a plan and purpose for Paul's life, and it's a big one. And so he was the demonic enemy, you know, enemy number one. And so they weren't happy with him still breathing. They wanted him dead. Very much like Jesus, huh? Interesting. They wanted him dead in the same way. And so that really fueled it. But see, this is a good lesson for us before we move on as well, guys. See, the bitterness that they had towards Paul, the anger and the unforgiveness that they had towards Paul, they let it simmer for two years. And what happened? It got worse. It got worse. So guys, unchecked sin. We talked about this last week. Unchecked sin should never be coddled. Unchecked sin, unforgiveness in your heart, that all, you just open ridiculous doors for darkness, guys. I'm telling you. You're like, ah, oh, well, it happened 20 years ago. I'm over it. Yeah, okay. Really? I don't think so. Like, like let's, let's just pause. You got to address the, uh, the issues of the soul. This is a great reminder from last week. Because unchecked sin and unforgiveness and bitterness, it should not, it should not remain in you like that. It shouldn't be coddled with and you shouldn't just cuddle up next to it. Okay? Unchecked sin, you don't cuddle up next to it. You crucify it before it crucifies you. That's what Jesus always tells us to do. He says, every day, deny yourself. Pick up your cross and follow me. And deny yourself is not to deny, like, the essence of who you are. It doesn't mean lose yourself in that way. It is to literally deny your selfish impulses, the sinful ones, Deny that and then pick up your cross, meaning, and respond to the Spirit's impulses. Just respond to Him. So, guys, I'm telling you now, if, you, if some of y'all, y'all, y'all thought you survived last week, right? And it was like, oh, your unchecked, unchecked sin is still there. You're supposed to dress it last week. Well, here's another reminder, all right? So, you don't leave it there. Don't coddle it. Don't cuddle up with it. Crucify it before it kills you, because that's what, uh, that's what sin does. But Paul is the focus. Look at Paul here. Something interesting happens with Paul that he does, does a little different than Festus. I mean, than with Felix. First off, he says again, listen, I'm tired, man. I've done nothing. All those charges which we talked about, I'm not doing anything against the Jewish law. I'm not doing this. All of these laws are serious. They were all deserving of death. And so he's saying, bro, come on, Festus, you know. 
you know. Let's not play games. Like, I, I, he, he was just so frank. I think after two years, I think a lot, some of us would be the same way. Like, you know, I know the older that I get, the more I'm starting to realize I'm becoming more like my mom and being way more direct instead of being like, you know, my dad's super cool. He's super chill. I'm becoming more like my mom the older that I get. I'm just, wow, just fire. And then I'll fire now and then aim later, you know? And so that's kind of what you just see here. He's like saying, all right, look, are we going to do this all over again? I've done nothing. You know I've done nothing. What's going to happen here? All right, what what we doing? What we doing? What we doing? And so that was an interesting thing. Now, he says he's not guilty. But, and that's one thing, guys, that we need to pause and make sure that we understand as well. And, And Paul never always lost sight of this. He knew that he had done nothing wrong in this way. But he always, always, and when you read all of his letters, he always recognizes the fact that he is guilty towards God. He wasn't guilty towards anything else. He was guilty towards God. Knowing that he was guilty towards God and the fact that what Juan Sebastián saying today and what we've all talked about, the forgiveness of God, his love, his, the, that amazing grace, that is what always fueled everything. I think especially too, two years struggling, right? Doing something, not seeing any results. What kept him so positive and hopeful and optimistic? Despite nothing going right, well, he, he never lost sight of the fact that I am the chief among sinners, and yet even Christ saved me. And if Christ can save me, he can save anybody. That always fueled that. Because here, there was an interesting thing where he said here, what he said is like, listen, if I did anything deserving of death, I'm not trying to escape it. In essence, what Paul was saying is, look, if I did the crime, I'm willing to do the time. But I've done nothing and you know it. And guys, that should always be the motivation of us as believers. Because you know what? Have we done a crime against God? Yes. We have all sinned and fallen short of that glory. But notice that if we've done the crime, we deserve to do the time. But you know what the time is? The time is not a life sentence. The time is not 30 years. What is the, light, what is the, the sentence for sin? It's an eternal one. It's an eternal sentence. It's not a life sentence. It's an eternal sentence. And yet Jesus died for our sins on the cross so that we can die to them and still live. You see that? He died for our sins so that we can die to them and not have to face those. And if there was anything that I would just want to leave you to linger on this one for a moment. Some of y'all will like it. Some of y'all ignore it. Listen, Jesus paid. He was on the cross for six hours. Six hours he was on the cross. And in six hours, he paid and did the time for our crime. He fulfilled, even if it was just one of ours, he fulfilled one sinner's eternal penalty in six hours. If he did it for one, could you imagine every believer? He, He fulfilled the time according to our crime, and he did it in six hours. Could you imagine the intensity of what he was experiencing on the cross at that moment? The wrath of God, an eternal wrath of God condensed into six hours. That's a good one to think about. Leave it for another day. All right, and just, just linger on that one. And so, but here we go. He is now, what does he do though? What does he do? He does something different with Felix. For Felix, he preached to him every single day because he knew, you know what? This guy is not going to let me do anything. But with Festus, it was different. In Festus, he pretty much admits like saying, all right, wait, you want me to go to the Jews? You want me to go to them? I was like, here, okay. I'm not, I'm not going to get a fair trial here. In essence, he realizes I'm not going to get a fair trial here. So I appeal to who? What did he say? I appeal to Caesar. That was what Roman citizens could do if they were faced with a, you know, like a capital punishment crime like that. And it was serious. And if they 
felt like, you know what? This court, this guy wants to dump it to a lower court. No, 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 no. I'm staying here. And if you're not going to try me fairly, I need to upgrade. I need to appeal to a higher court. That's the one he's doing because life is not fair. Now, this was interesting because all Paul knew about God's plan for his life is I need to go to Rome. That's all he knew. All he knew was I got to go to Rome. And so he didn't see a window of opportunity with Felix because Felix was an unjust guy. Felix, he could have appealed to Caesar throughout those two years. Why didn't he? Because Felix was a dirtbag. He would not, he didn't care about the procedures. He didn't care about this. So why waste my breath on something if it's not going to happen? But he noticed already at the beginning, wait a minute, Festus is a little more honorable. Festus is uh, doing things according to the rules. So if I appeal to Caesar, he'll let me go. And so he was very, you know, attuned to that. And guys, that to me, I thought it was really interesting. Again, when you understand even the basics of God's plan, you're able to make wise decisions without having to hear a, thus saith the Lord do, you know? He did that. This was a wise, spirit-led decision because he knew part of it. And he was reading the room really well. And so this is an important, I thought that was an interesting thing too as he's looking to that. But then what does he do? He appeals to God. He appeals to Caesar because he's not going to get a fair shake. And guys, this is something that is, you know this to be true. Have you ever heard, and you guys all know that life's not fair, correct? Life is not fair. You can do everything by the book and you can get this result. And you can see this guy over here cut every corner and get ahead of you, all right? You've seen that. We all know that life is not fair. You do what other people do and it was successful for them, but not for you. Or, you know, there's just things that just happen, right? And so we, there's that, the, the, what's the phrase that people always say? Oh, why do bad things, finish it for me online, type it. Why do bad things happen to good people? And we sit there and we whine and complain and we throw a little pitter party, play that tiny little violin, right? And do our sob story. Why do bad things ever happen to good people? Well, I love R.C. Sproul's twist on that. He's saying, um, that never happened. All right? In fact, it did. If anything, it actually happened one time. Only one time did something bad ever happen to a good person and he volunteered. We're talking about Jesus. The only time something really bad ever happened to a good person He volunteered for the job. Christ volunteered. Something bad and injustice happened for Christ. And he did it willingly to fulfill God's justice so that we could live. I think a better question always should be, why do good things happen to bad people? And when you apply that to us, we're all sinners. None of us can say we're good. So have you ever wondered and stopped, why does God do good things towards bad sinners? No, that's, an, that's a different question. And that makes you really think and really makes you wonder, man, God is amazing. And that's the character, guys, that you and I are supposed to appeal to. Because when life's not fair, when things aren't going the way you want them to go, when you don't know what to do, what did he do? He appealed to Caesar. Well, we don't have a Caesar. We're definitely not going to appeal to the president or your governor, all right? They got their own situations to deal with. And so who do we have to appeal with, guys? We have God. And you can't lose sight of that. You cannot lose sight of that. We have that. And that word appeal literally just means, it's like another way of saying pray. It's to invoke. It's to call. But you appeal not to, you you don't just appeal when you need help. And that's another one. So let me bother you. If your prayers always start with, dear Jesus, here's what I need. Stop. Okay. 
you got it backwards. If your prayers are focused on, and they look more like the Christmas list that some of those kids are prepping already, all right, for the parents, if it looks like a laundry list of to-do things for God, stop, all right? That's not prayer. That's not prayer. You're just, you know, running up to God like a vending machine. It doesn't work that way. All right, doesn't work that way. And so, but to appeal to God is to either do it in aid, and you know what another word is? It actually means to appeal in worship. Guys, you guys know if you just, in the, sound, in the songs that we were singing earlier today, you just were doing that. You were appealing to his name, but you weren't asking anything for him or from him. What were you doing? You were just, huh? You were just worshiping him. You were telling him who you are. We were lifting up the name of Jesus. That's it too. That's the part of the prayers that we need to make sure we fit in as well. But guys, what we ultimately appeal to is character, is God's character. We can appeal to wisdom and he gives us that. But ultimately, guys, it's, it's his character. When we appeal to mercy, this is what every believer, every believer, if you've ever were one, all right, before you were, your first appeal to God was for mercy. Lord, I am a sinner in need of a Savior. Forgive me of my sins. Right? You're appealing to his mercy. And when you appeal to God's mercy, you know what you get? Eternal life. But then, you know, every year, not every year, every day, guys, if you're a Christian, you are supposed to appeal to his grace. Every day. If you appeal to his mercy for eternal life, you appeal to his grace for an empowered life. That's what we were doing earlier in my prayers this morning where I was appealing to the grace of God. Because if we just go run and do things on our own, by the way, that's a lot of the problems that you and I face. A lot of times I've found my ways, and those are some of the things myself, is God, I'm praying, I'm praying, I'm praying, and you're not answering my prayers. Well, Scripture says that, listen, sometimes God doesn't answer your prayers because they're selfish. And if he answered your prayers, it actually wouldn't, that's not actually what you need. And by the way, God has a plan too. And so God has a plan and purpose for your life. And so when you're wanting your plan to be fulfilled, he's like, listen, uh, mine's better. And uh, no, okay? Like, I'm not going to do that. Because if you understood fully what my plan was, you wouldn't be praying this. And so guys, a lot of times the results that you're not seeing, if you're a Christian, let me stop. If you are not seeing certain results, you can't always blame God. A lot of times it's user error, okay? It's going to be user error. It's sometimes it's just your selfish intentions, selfish motives. And God's not going to feed that. He doesn't want to do that. And this is why we need to appeal to his grace, his mercy for eternal life, his grace for an empowered life. But here's one that, man, this is a word that honestly you and I need to become way more familiar with. We appeal to God's sovereignty. You know what sovereignty means? Sovereignty is a big word. We use it in politics, right? When you have a sovereign nation. Sovereignty means that you have freedom and power to make decisions that no one else can cancel. So if the United States is a sovereign nation, that means that what, you know, with the French, they could create whatever law they want to for America, but just because they created it doesn't mean we have to abide by it because we are a sovereign nation. We make our own decisions, I think. Okay, right, you, you get that? You see what that means? That's sovereignty. And God's sovereignty is, he has a plan and purpose that it doesn't matter what the devil and what demons do, none of their decisions, none of their plans can conquer God's. By the way, it's interesting how God's plan is so insanely creative. He actually recruits demons to do the job for him. Did you guys, you missed it? Did, did you guys see just a minute ago when we were reading that demons actually helped fulfill God's plan? Did you catch it? Let's recap one more time. Where was Paul this whole time? 
For two years, where was he? Roman custody. Where was he not? Preaching the gospel, going to town to town. You would have thought that's okay. But again, the demons wanted Paul dead because they knew we can't let him, we can't let God fulfill his purpose in his life. We can't do it because it's, it's not going to be good. We got to kill him. We got to kill him. We got to kill him. How are we going to kill him? We got to do it. And, and what they did was they kicked the hornet's nest. And in their involvement with the new administration, sent Paul to Rome, which is exactly Paul, which was exactly God's plan for Paul's life. Who knows? If they would have just let bygones be bygones, you know what I'm saying? But now demons in their attempt to kill Paul actually helped him to fulfill God's plan for his life. Now, this is an interesting thing because you guys, Paul actually says to the Corinthians one time, he's, oh no, he actually says to someone else, I'm sorry. He says, if the devil and if the rulers knew, a lot of this is like not only Roman leaders, the Jewish leaders, spiritual, demonic demons and, and the devil. If they knew that killing Jesus would have not fixed the problem, in fact, made it worse for them. If they would have known that killing Jesus on the cross would, would have not solved the problem, but have made it worse. Like now, now Christianity is going to be worldwide. If the devil knew that killing Jesus would have actually been the, the ultimate defeat of the devil himself, he says that they would have never have tried to, they would have fought to keep Christ alive. If they would have known God's plan, what he was doing, they would have fought to keep him alive. Guys, this, look, you know how frustrating it must be to be the devil? You know how frustrating it must be to be a demon? In that it doesn't matter what you do, even when you think you're winning, you're actually helping God every single time. And his plan is never diverted. His plan is never paused, not even for a second. Even demons in their negative attempt and negative influence are actually helping to fulfill God's plan. It must be frustrating to be them. It must be frustrating to have that job. But you know what that means for us? It means we can have hope. That even when things don't look like they should be on the outside, God can make all things work together for good according to those who are called for his purpose and that he loves. Do you see that? So you see, guys, when you appeal to the sovereignty of Christ, it doesn't matter if you got a problem in front of you. God's never going to just keep you from problems, keep you from negativities. Sometimes he may use them to get you moving because if, you, if not, then you would have stayed stuck. You would have stayed stuck. You would have not gone anywhere. You would have not moved. Guys, I'm telling you now, there's things that I've complained about I've had to repent of. Because when in the moment I was complaining, only to find two, three, sometimes four years later, I realized, whew, I wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for that problem. Because that problem made me shift and focus and move over here. And the whole time I'm complaining like a spoiled little brat. And God is trying to, he's lovingly guiding me as I'm complaining at the same time. Guys, what kind of a father do we have? You see that? His love and grace and patience is so amazing. And so look, these are the things, guys, that we lean on. When we can't see much and we don't understand the big picture, you know, we appeal to his mercy, we appeal to his grace, we appeal to his sovereignty. And this is something, guys, that we need to remember is that, look, you and I, we can trust that God will work out his will as we strive to obey his word. Listen, he, this is his plan. He is operating all of it because you and I all have a part to play. It's a small one. But we can trust that he will fulfill his will when we do what? When we just strive to obey his word. And what is his word? What is the essence of what this is? I've said it a thousand times. I'll say it a thousand more. It is to know him and make him known. 
There's the shallow end of the pool. All right, you want the shallow end? Right there. Is to know him and make him known. When we do that part, okay, he's going to do his part. And this should actually freak some of you guys out. Because guys, God's plan is going to go fulfilled no matter what. Y'all processing that? His game plan is going to be executed to perfection. It doesn't matter what the enemy does. All right. It doesn't matter what they do. We call it blindside blitz. You, I, I, I know we were talking about football earlier. I, I love watching those plays that were designed that literally it's like the perfect play against the defense and it just works like perfection, like 80-yard touchdown. Why? Because it was the perfect call against that. That's literally it. Every call that the enemy has, God's response is always, always perfect. And that should give us, guys, hope no matter what, but it also should freak you out. Because God's plan is going to happen no matter what. You're either, he's either going to use you for the positive side of it, or he's going to use you on the negative side of it. Which one are you going to be, right? That's where our obedience plays in. And so, guys, look, you and I can trust that God will work out his will as we strive to obey his word. Let me just give you one thing about adversity. Again, I wish I would. I'm trying to apply this even more and more to my life right now, especially when things are not going the way that I thought they were going to go. Or, that, or at the pace that I would like them to go. I, I, I'm, I'm learning this for myself. I'm trying to preach this to myself. That adversity is nothing but an opportunity to experience the reality of God's grace. Adversity actually gives you the opportunity to experience the reality of God's grace. Because when you're faced with adversity and you have nothing else to lean on, you have nothing else to look to, what option do you have left? Him. And so... If you complain in the moment, hey, God can do things by his grace. But again, there's that focus side. That when adversity, when we face it, we, it gives us opportunities to experience the reality of his grace. And so what should we do? We can complain or we can appeal to the character of God. That is all, maybe that's the only window that you see, right? In the belly of the ship. That is the only window that you see. You can't see the outside. You can't see how far we're going. You can't see, is there a storm coming up ahead? Or maybe you're in the storm. Are we almost out of it? Because you're in the belly of the ship. You can't see it, but you can see him. You can see his love, his nature, his character through his word. And when we appeal to his character, this is how we navigate through the chaos in life. So this is for, you know, this, if this is for you now, it will be for you one day. Because you're always going to be in a moment, guys, where you're either, I, I've heard this said by dozens of preachers, I've read dozens of books, you're either in three stages. You're either going into a problem, you're either in a problem, or you're working your way out of it. You're going to be in one of those three things, and when you're working your way out of it, get ready because the roller coaster is going to go back down again. That's just the rhythm of life, right? That's just it. You're either getting into something, you're in it, or you're coming out of it. And in the midst of all of those things, what can guide us through the chaos? When we focus on his character. His character. This is why, again, this goes against everything that you want me to say even right now. You want me to make this all about you. You want me to say and hype you up and affirm you and, and you know, let, let God's word affirm you, let God's word accept you, when honestly, it's the flip side of it. When you affirm Christ, when you appeal to him, when you accept him, things happen. God begins to work. And maybe not in the ways that you hoped and thought. All right? I, what's up, babe? What's the one that I used to say? Oh, about breakthrough. Remember, we always used to say that. That was a big theme for a while. This year is going to be your year for breakthrough. Breakthrough, breakthrough, breakthrough. Something I've learned, and I see it in Scripture, and I learned in my life. Breakthrough tends to happen when God breaks through you. 
Your breakthrough sometimes happens. He has to break you first. It's through you. Like there's just, you know, things in you that when he breaks you, then you experience breakthrough if you trust and lean on him. You still want breakthrough? I hope so. <laughs> or like, I hope so. But that's it. And that's where that adversity comes from. When we appeal to his character, it is how we navigate through the chaos in life. Paul was sitting here, Rome, in, sitting in a Roman jail for two years, waiting for an opportunity, not knowing what to do. But he took advantage of every opportunity he had. Every time Felix talked to him, he's talking to him about the gospel. Anytime a friend came, he would encourage his friend. He would write a letter that, um, uh, you know, would, would encourage someone else. He took advantage of every opportunity. And in the moments, he grew closer to God all alone. And sometimes, guys, God wants to just, he sometimes maybe, I know I've seen this as well, is he just kind of sets us in these moments sometimes when it's just us and him, just so he can really do some detail work. And then we move on. That's what we're seeing here. And guys, that's what happens with us too. Sometimes we need those little details. But you know what? Paul is practicing what he preached to the Corinthians years before, right now. You guys are seeing it. What Paul is doing right now, he is practicing what he preached to the Corinthians years before. Let me show you. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1. I got that verse on the, on the wall. I'm going to show it to you guys. But, you know, if you have it, look, look it up. 1 Corinthians 4, verse 1. Paul said this to the Corinthian church's first letter years before the, what we just read. And in chapter 4, verse 1, he says, A person should think of us in this way. As, what's the word I highlighted? Servants of Christ. And look at this word, managers of the mysteries of God. So poetic, all right? Managers of the mysteries. Now, the person, he says, a person should think of us. Now, he's saying non-believers, okay? Non-believers should think of, of Christians in this way. And if a non-believer should think of us in this way, we need to think of ourselves in this way. As servants who do what? We're managers of the mysteries, you know what that is? Again, mystery means what, guys? You're not going to know every little detail. You're not going to see it all. We're kind of maneuvering our way through it. We're managing this mystery called life. We're managing this mystery of the nature and character of God that we can begin to know and grow in, but we can never know it fully. So we're managers of this mystery of the gospel. But do not lose sight of the first word. What was the word again? Servants. Now, that specific word for servant that Paul used, listen, the Holy Spirit inspired him to use that specific word, and Holy Spirit, don't miss. Holy Spirit, don't miss. You know what that word means? It means an under rower. He said the world should see us as nothing but under rowers, managing the mysteries of God. Guys, if you, again, if you are an under rower, where are you? You're in the belly of the ship. Where are you not? At the captain's helm. You're not at the wheel. You're in the belly of the ship. Your, your visibility is what? It's limited. You can only see so much, right? And all you know is the instructions that have been given to you. And you have to trust in that, all right, this is going to work. This is going to work. I don't know how it's going to work. I don't understand, but I'm just going to keep on doing what? Rowing, rowing, rowing this boat because that's what I'm asked to do. It's the simple task that I've been given. Interesting enough, he says, we as Christians, you and I, we need to remember that we are nothing but under rowers in the kingdom of God. But unlike the slaves of the movies that we see that are mistreated and dirty, we're different, right? We're sons and daughters of the living God. If you have believed and put your trust and confidence in Christ, yet you are still given this task of being a what? An under rower. And we're called to row. And what is rowing? I told you a minute ago, right? What were the two things? Knowing God 
and making him known. That's how we row. We know him and make him known. Input, output. Input, output. Knowing him, making him known. Knowing him and making him known. How is this going to work? How is this going to work in the large scheme of things? It's not your job. I think that's what's going to make heaven so amazing because we're going to see the big picture. We're going to see all that he was doing. It had all come to fruition at one point. But you and I, we are, doing, we are called to do nothing less and nothing more than that right there. But at the same time, when you're in the belly of the ship and you can't see, you can't even see light at the end of the tunnel. Maybe this could be for some of you guys. Maybe you're, just, you're, you're in it. For those of you that are in it and entering in it, you see where you're going into and you know it's going to be a difficult season or you're just in it and you see no light at the end of the tunnel. What should I do? Well, let me tell you what you shouldn't do and that's turn on Christ, right? Versus you lean in even further. Know him and make him known. And what gives us, guys, the energy and the ability to be like Paul, where Paul was able to just keep going for two years and do, he was faithful in that. What should give us, the, where can we get that same motivation? Same place where Paul got it. Same thing where Paul got it, guys, is this. Even though you can't understand God's whole plan, all you see is a little window. You can't understand the whole plan. But we do know the captain. We know the king. We know that he is faithful. We know that he is just. He is the one that he is at the helm. We don't understand. We're getting fired upon left and right and this. We don't know what's happening. All we're doing, all we're called to do is what? Is to man our post. To know him, make him known. Know him and make him known. And we do it by the power of the Holy Spirit. How? Because our confidence lies in our captain. Our confidence is rooted in our king. That is where the Holy Spirit, now where the ancient scriptures would say that you will run and not grow weary, right? Little things like that in which he will give you the strength to go through whatever and you won't understand it on this side of heaven. You just won't. And that's what heaven's going to be when we look back and we see the full picture. We're going to be, no wonder we're going to spend a good amount of time praising him because there was a lot of times through that we would have been complaining throughout the moment. This is Grumbling to yourself. And all along, God was using that and bringing you one more day closer. Christian, let me tell you, I, I, this guy tweets this every day. I love it. He, he tweets it to Christians. Speaking to them, he says, Christian, today you are one day closer. One day clo closer to eternity with heaven. You are one, every, when you wake up in the morning, you are one day closer to an eternity in heaven. You got a row today. You got a row, but your confidence is in the king. You can trust him who makes all things work together. And so what we're called to do, guys, is to do the same thing. I don't know. For Paul, he had to be there for two years, and then, hey, now he, he saw the time to move, right? For some of us, I don't know, all right? It could be all a little different. But no matter what the pauses is, we should never let that interfere with God's purpose, with us losing sight of him. Because when you appeal to his nature, when you appeal to his character, when you look into him, that is what changes us, fuels us, empowers us. And even in the mundane things, he can bring joy and hope and love and all of these things and peace. Speaking of that anxiety before, I know you can't see much out of the big picture, but you can see enough if you see him. He is enough. Amen.